Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Pierre Clark. There's Charles Jacques Bryant. Okay. Jerry. Jelly. Oh, nice. <laughs> Roland. Are we allowed to tell everyone your last name, Jerry? We've done it before. Okay. What if they go try to find her on Facebook and find out she doesn't actually exist? That it's all just a plant, fake Facebook page that we've created. I know that she she is an actual plant. <laughs> right. She's, that grows in the corner. Yep. Feed uh, me. I am worried about this one. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Oh, why? You were worried about the wine one for the same reasons? We didn't do the wine one. I know. That's why. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly why. Is no, it the same e- reason? Exactly for those reasons. Totally fine, man. No people, one knows anything about champagne. People spend lifetimes <laughs> learning this stuff. Yes, but we have a show and everyone knows that we don't spend a lifetime learning about what we talk about, that oh. we just do our research and we try to find the most interesting stuff. To explain how something works. I know, but these, with, anytime it's something where someone is like such a huge, like, where it's such a big thing for so many people. Right. Uh, I just know we're going to mess up pronunciations yeah. in French. Yeah. So Champagne. Right. Champagne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's how Bugs Bunny always pronounced it. Oh yeah? Yeah. So you, you're following a grand tradition. I didn't know he was a drinker. Well, we are going to talk about champagne. It's a little late now. Do you like champagne? I love champagne. Oh, okay. Love it. I don't. I mainly drink sparkling wine. I don't really drink champagne itself. Mm-hmm. But, buddy, this article made me want to drink some champagne. What, you do a little Prosecco? A little Cava? Sure. I don't really discriminate. Okay. I uh, do. I don't drink any of it. You don't like champagne, huh? Nah. I don't like sparkling wine. It's not uh, just not... It's not for Chuck, as they say. I gotcha. It's I love the, it. As they say. Love it, man. Um, I, I particularly love Shandong out in uh, California. I will say one time at a party, though, many years ago, like in the 90s, I drank a lot of just champagne, only champagne. This might be why you don't like champagne. For the only time in my life. No, I actually uh, I felt like a 12-year-old girl. That was wonderful. Oh, that's your problem. No, <laughs> champagne is... Um, no, no, no. I mean... Silly and oh, I see. Bubbly and I see. fun, like I played hopscotch and stuff like that. Yeah, I know that's terrible. Why would you ever want to do that again? <laughs> I don't mean I felt like a girl because I was drinking champagne. That's what I thought you meant. I no, was like, no, well, no. there's your problem. Champagne's not a girly drink. No, no, I'm at sure all. there's plenty of people out there who do think that, buddy. I will drink pink champagne at a, a with your finger up at a, a bullfight. <laughs> oh, gross. Yeah, you got to do something to wash the pain away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just not for me. Uh, and that gave me a, such a bad headache the next day. I, I didn't, uh, go back oh, to yeah. the well. I'll have, you know, I'll have someone, if someone wants to toast me, yeah. I won't go. No, I'm not drinking that. Well, you were probably drinking pretty sweet champagne, weren't you? Mm, Usually I don't the, the higher the sugar content in anything, the, the more, um, of a hangover you're going to have. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. Well, I love it. Good. You mean I've been to Shandon twice? Okay. Went on a Shandong cruise once. Wow. Big f- fans of Shandong. Where is that? Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, it's out in, um, Napa, Napa Valley. It's famously attached to Moet and Shandong. Uh huh. And then Shandong went and said, Hey, we're going to open up something in California too. Gotcha. I said, cool. Cause their terroir is 
It's got to be beat. It's got good terroir. And that's another thing, too. This is what I'm nervous about. I'm not nervous about getting it wrong. I'm nervous about coming across like it's just a complete jackass sophisticate, <laughs> you know? I, I'm not at all. I just like champagne. I, I'm, I know more now about champagne doing this research for the last couple of days uh-huh. than I ever had before. So I definitely don't put myself out there as like a, um, an expert in any way, shape or form. All right. So that's called so everybody put your emails away. 10 minutes of caveats <laughs> by Josh and Chuck. See, that was French and you pronounced it great. Cavite? Is that Latin? Uh, all right. Well, I, I guess if you don't know anything about champagne, you might have noticed that we already said both the word champagne and sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. And um, I think most people probably know this, but some people may not. Um, champagne is a region in France. And uh, technically, you were only supposed to say champagne for sparkling wine if it comes from that region. Right. So all champagne that's sparkling wine is sparkling wine. But all sparkling wine is not champagne. That's right. That, that, I think that simplified. <laughs> uh, in Champagne itself, the region is about an hour and a half, 90 minutes or so northeast of Paris. Or east. And this um, article points out that it's one of the least visited regions of France. But I bet, I bet they have their fair amount of enthusiasts that go to I the region. I would so, sure. But maybe just not as many. I don't know. It's the south of France or other Burgundy, maybe. Right. Well, Burgundy comes to mind for sure. Yeah. Uh, apparently Chablis. I didn't realize that that was a, a wine growing region. Did you? I don't think I did. And the uh, very famous Mad Dog region. <laughs> right. <laughs> Le Natrin. <laughs> so silly. So, um, the, so Champagne is a region. It's also a sparkling wine. But yeah, like you said, you, you can't make sparkling wine outside of this, this Champagne region. And you can even make sparkling wine inside of the Champagne region. And unless you're following a very strictly controlled process mm-hmm. within this particular region of France, you are not allowed anywhere in the world to call your sparkling wine Champagne. It's it's what's called an Appalachian Appalachian. No, that's a mountain range. <laughs> it's what's called a um, Appalachian Trail. A- Appalachian de Origine Control, <laughs> or AOC, is what we're going to call it. But it's basically the same thing with um, bourbon here in the United States, right? Yeah. Where you have to follow specific rules and you have to make it within a specific region. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is. It's you don't want just any schmo making something that's similar to your product, right. but not nearly as good. That's not going through anywhere near the painstaking amount of process um, and labor that you're doing and still call it the same thing you're calling it. You don't want to do that. Yeah. So, and so that, you have to sure. re- restrict it, especially the French, you know, that they're, they're not going to be all willy nilly about that. Mm-hmm. That's their region. Yeah. Apparently, there's something like eighty four thousand acres which I don't think is a lot. And what are those cities? The two main cities are Rheims and Epernay. But uh, we even have a thing in here that says if you say Rheims, then you're an American city slicker. Uh, if you say Reims. Oh, okay. Rheims, I've seen plenty. Rons is what they say in the uh, in the Help Me Out article that we got. I think you just earned some fans <laughs> in France with that one. Uh, well, by any other name, it is still Champagne, and those are the cities. And there are but three grapes that you can use to make Champagne. You can't just say uh, 
Oh, that that muscadine looks nice, <laughs> like they do here in Georgia. Right. Let's throw it in a bottle and ferment it. Yeah. Uh, Petey, put this in your mouth, chew it, <laughs> spit it up in the bottle. There are three grapes, and they are the Pinot Noir grape, the Chardonnay grape, and um, how do you pronounce that last one? The Pinot Meunier. Okay. Uh, which is a, another dark grape, a red grape, or black grape, I think is what they call it. Yeah, if you ever talk to a real wine person and you don't know the lingo, you're going to be confused quick when they say things like black grapes. Right. You'll be like, what the heck is a black grape? But if you dig into it, you start to find that there's a lot of overlap in words. Uh, there's a lot of ter- multiple terms that describe the same thing. Yeah. Black grape, red grape, same thing. Yeah. You know? Purple grape. Why not? If you say that, you're, you're going to get laughed out of Napa. Right. I like the purple grapes. <laughs> Concord, I think, is what they're called. Uh, but Chardonnay is, um, of those three, is the only all-white grape. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, a lot of people might not know this. It's the same with... Uh, still wine, but you know, inside that black skin is white pulp. Yeah. Depending on when you pick the grape. Yeah. So if you pick it early before it has a chance to turn reddish, you can conceivably squeeze clear or white grape juice from red or black grapes. That's right. And that's what's happening in the case of champagne. Yeah. Because if you look at it, you're like, well, I, I mean, this is, this is clear. How is this made from red grapes? Well, as we'll see later on, you have Dom Perignon to thank. Well, we should go ahead and talk about that, I guess. Well, let's talk about Champagne a little bit for first, and then we'll get to Dom Perignon. So the region itself is pretty ancient. Yeah. Um, the first vineyards in Champagne were planted by the Romans, who also uh, mined chalk in the area. And there's extensive chalk quarries that are underground that have served as Champagne cellars for generations. So the place has been making wine. The region has been making wine for millennia. Um, but it wasn't until about the 16, 1700s when they really kind of took what was a naturally occurring problem, which was carbonation happening in their wine. Yeah. And, and went to town with it. They said, if, if you can't beat them, join them. So they, they took this thing that was viewed as a flaw in their wine, carbonation, sparkling wine, and they figured out how to make it even more so and made it its own thing. Yeah. And that, um, in that region, that chalk is very key mm-hmm. to, uh, what you end up getting because it's very reflective because it's white. It is. So it reflects the sunlight from the ground back up to the leaves, right? Yeah. It's a very unique region. Like, and apparently it's, uh, like if you stumbled upon that region today in our advanced winemaking techniques right. and sparkling wine techniques, you probably wouldn't say, hey, this is a great place to have a vineyard. Right. You go, sacre bleu, the soil <laughs> is terrible. Uh, well, you might um, because it's I think it's a little tougher to grow. Like it, there's a very fine line between getting a, a successful uh, harvest in that region, it, which it, is, makes it, I think, very special. Yeah, it does. Like um, apparently they have. Cold, short, wet growing seasons. And apparently that's where the original um, sparkling wine and champagne came from. It was a freak of natural um, natural climate and natural conditions, growing conditions, right? Yeah. Because as we'll see, a, a second um, fermentation is what creates the carbonation. Yeah. And that would happen naturally because they, they would – Harvest the wine, make wine, store it, and then it would get um, cold 
all of a sudden, like early before the fermentation process was done. Right. So fermentation would basically stop. But then there'd be a lot of sugar and yeast left in their wine that hadn't fermented when they started it. So when um, spring came around again and things started to warm up, a second fermentation process started. And that's really what kicked off the bubbles. Yeah. But for a long time, the people in in um, Champagne and the Champagne region were tearing their hair out. Because they didn't want this. It was a sign that their wine was terrible sure. or poorly made. And like I said, it wasn't until Dom Perignon came along, um, who didn't like it himself, uh, but was one of the people who created a lot of the techniques that helped um, establish champagne as the sparkling wine capital of the world. So he didn't care for it? No, he didn't. He didn't. Um, he could. He called it uh, mad wine. I think is what he called. He was it. a monk, though, right? Yeah, he was a Benedictine monk in the area, and in an he was the cellar master. Uh huh. Which is, um, if you are a cellar master, uh, you are in charge as far as champagne goes, with basically making the master blend of the champagne. Are you talking about the cuvee? Yes, the cuvee. <laughs> and when you put it together, that's the assemblage, right? That's right. So Dom Perignon was the guy in charge of that for this abbey. He was a monk. His, yeah. his name was Pierre Perignon. Dom is like monk. It denotes you're a monk, yeah. a Benedictine monk. And um, he was one of the ones who established a lot of the groundwork for creating sparkling wine, creating champagne. Very interesting. Like um, up to that point, you would have um, sparkling wines in your cellar, but they were using like wood and hemp to like stop these bottles. Well, that didn't work all that well. Yeah. Bottles would very frequently explode and cellars were very dangerous places to be because one, one of these stoppers came out, it'd shoot across the room, hit another bottle and that bottle stopper would come out and all of a sudden you'd have a chain reaction of these wooden stoppers like flying at your head. It's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. Or Three Stooges or something, <laughs> right? So, um, Dom Perignon came up with the idea of using cork stoppers in thicker English type bottles, which yeah, could withstand the pressure. Yeah. Um, holding them down with little rope muzzles. Now we use foil and wire. Yeah. What's that called? A muzzle? Yeah. Muzzle. There, there's a French word for it, but I can't find it in my notes. Muzzle. What's <laughs> something like that? So he came up with a bunch of stuff. He also was the first one to start blending wines from the region. And as we'll talk about in a few, um, that's the basis of champagne. You, it's a blend. Champagne, champagne is a blend of wine. That's right. Should we take a break? Let's. Collect ourselves? Yeah. I'm getting excited. Don't you want some champagne? Nope. No, I mean, if you opened a bottle of champagne in here, I would, I would drink a flute. Yeah. Cause, uh, A, it's rude when you're offered something sure. to turn your nose up at it. Right. Unless you're under 21. And B, it might help me to relax a little bit. Yeah. About, <laughs> it really would. About this thing. You'd feel great. Um, should we talk a little bit about, uh, the champagne method? Yes. What the French call? La méthode champagnoise. Okay. La method champagnoise. So to say it, you have to close your septum. (laughs) Um, this is one reason why champagne is uh, a bit more expensive 
or can be a bit more expensive um, is because it, there's there's a lot of processes involved. Mm-hmm. And not like there's not with still wine, but champagne kind of takes it a step further. It's time consuming. And it sure there are people's hands and feet involved yeah. a, a lot of times. Yeah. And like you said, it's it is it starts with making wine. Actually, it starts even further back than that. It starts with growing the grapes. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but fermentation, you know, all wines are fermented, of course, and that's the, uh, that's when sugar breaks down from the grape juice, turns it into alcohol, delicious, delicious alcohol. <laughs> and that is called wine. Um, and just like regular wine, still wine, like you said, I guess we shouldn't call it regular wine, just still wine. Still wine. Um, they start basic with basic wine. They start with those grapes. Uh, and in the case of champagne, they are pressed with human feet, mm-hmm. which uh, still happens. Right. And I can't help but think of that video still after all these years. That poor lady. Of that poor lady. Yeah. Who, From uh, uh, at uh, Chateau Elan, right? Oh, was that in Georgia? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. It was a Georgia like morning show, Atlanta morning show. I think it was like Fox <laughs> Live or something yeah. like that. I just, I can still hear it. I haven't seen it in years, but if yeah. you don't know what we're talking about, there was a, one of the early viral videos of this, uh, of this, uh, woman on location doing a story about wine in Georgia and she was stomping on the wine and, uh, fell Up on a, a platform for some reason. Yeah. And she fell out of the barrel and, and hurt herself, but it sounded like she was in very much uh, heavy distress. Like new dimensions of pain yeah. is, are the sounds that the woman made. I've never heard anything like it before or since. Me neither. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm it's very pretty sad. sure she's okay. Yeah, that's why I don't mind talking about it now. It's right. not like she was, you know, maimed for life or anything like that. I was thinking I Love Lucy too. Oh yeah? That very famous grape stomping scene. Yeah. You know, where she gets in like a grape throwing fight with the lady. Man, Lucy, she was always getting into trouble, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was shot in the studio where they filmed that show one time in California. Oh yeah. Right there in Hollywood. Yeah, it was kind of neat. Yeah. One of the groups just came over. He was like, you know, this is the I Love Lucy studio. And you went, <laughs> I smelled the grapes. <laughs> uh, all right. So where were we? Um, feet. Feet. Yeah. Which is this wonderful old world technique that I didn't know this. I didn't know that you have to do that for champagne. Is it just because it's so delicate? Yeah, I think that's part of it. But also they kind of shy away from machinery and the method champagne was. Really? Yes. All right. It's a it's a traditional method. Even though if you look back at the history of winemaking, champagne is very relatively new. Oh, yeah? Like we're talking 1600s, 1700s, right? They've been making wine for many thousands of years. Right. So this is a fairly new invention, but it was still invented at a time where you mainly used human labor for, for things like this. So yeah, they've, they've tended to preserve that as much as possible. All right. Well, you've got your juice, your, uh, white juice and, um, well, they put it in, Stainless steel vats, unless you're super old world, I guess. <laughs> uh, some people do use wood still, but really? yeah, the, you're allowed to use for the, for the initial fermentation where you're like, you're just making the basic wine. Yeah. You can use stainless steel. Yeah. So there it sits for a long time, uh, ferments, becomes still wine. And, uh, like we said, this is just the first, uh, fermentation. And then you move on to the blending, which is where that all important cellar master comes in. Right. So if you're a cellar master for a champagne house, you are, unless you're a very specific type of champagne house where you actually 
make champagne from growing the grapes to the finished product. Right. Um, you were probably going around the champagne region trying different champagnes or trying different wines, still wines. Yeah. And you're coming up with in your head a uh, blend of all these different wines. And that blend, as we said before, is called the cuvee. And the cuvee is it's just that. It's a blend of wine. And it has mainly three different factors involved that you have to take into consideration if you're the cellar master, right? Yes. If it's a vintage cuvee, a vintage blend of wines, then that means it's using grapes that were all grown in the same year, the same growing season. Yeah, and I imagine these cellar masters, I mean, you said they're tasting things. I'm sure they are, but I imagine these cellar masters in Champagne also kind of know exactly where they're going to go for most of these. Sure. And they also would know like, well, if you guys have 2007 vintage wine, like that was a great, that was a year. great year sure. or, um, that year was kind of rough. It might take it add a neat edge to it. Uh, some other 2009 grapes I'm using too, right? These yes. are what these people are walking around with in their heads. That kind of, that level of information. So they're putting it all together. They, they come up with these clever little blends and each blend's a, a cuvee. Again, one of the things they can take into account is the vintage, the years. Yeah, and like you said, if it's a vintage wine, it's just from the one year growing season. If it's non-vintage, that means you can you're combining various years. Right, and typically vintage uh, wines, I think, tend to be more expensive. Uh, I have I get the impression that they tend to be a little more revered. They definitely take longer to mature. Yeah, the the fermentation process is longer uh, than the non-vintage. And you'll see this on the label. It'll say vintage or else it'll say NV a lot of times. Right. Um, the two other things for a, a seller master to take into account are, um, the varietals. Yeah. And the, uh, crew, right? Yeah. CRU. So a crew Not is the CREW or the CRUE with an umlaut over the U. <laughs> Rock on. Yes. Um, the crew is, it's a vineyard basically. So you can have grapes all from one vineyard from different years and different varietals, um, and that'd still be what's called a single crew. Or you could mix different crews, different vineyards' grapes um, to to create a cuvee. Yeah, and the Grand Crew, you might have seen that before on a bottle. Um, that's a – if you get the Grand Crew status, then you're really – Cooking with gas, as my dad used to say. Uh, in the mid-1980s, um, well, initially there were only 12 villages that had that Grand Cru status. And then in 1985, uh, they expanded that to 17 because um, five more villages, and I'm not going to try and pronounce all those, were yeah. added to the list. And um, it says here that less than 9%, it's incredibly low, of all the vineyard land in Champagne has – a 100% Grand Cru rating. Right. So again, 84,000 acres, only 9% of that is the top rated. Basically, it's saying this land is the primo land for growing champagne grapes. Yeah. So if you get grapes that are grown there by these people who really know what they're doing, it's, you're going to pay through the nose for it. Sure. So a Grand Cru, um, champagne is going to be pretty expensive, but there's a, there's a reason behind it. Yeah. It's not just marketing. No. And varietals, too. Like you said, there's three grapes, right? Yeah, just those three. And depending on how you put them together, you can come up with a, a type of cuvee as well, right? So blanc de blanc means white of whites that's made just with Chardonnay grapes. Uh-huh. Blanc de noir is made with um, just one of the other black grapes, either the Pinot Meunier or the Pinot uh, Noir. That's right. Um, but all those three things 
are factored together to create a specific cuvee. Well, and then you've got your rosé that you mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, your pink wine, or as my friend Stacy calls it, pink crack. It's good stuff. She gets a hold of that stuff. Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is, uh, well, they, they, there's a couple ways you can do this. Um, sometimes you leave some of the uh, skin for a little bit of time, but these days, more or less, you're going to be adding a little bit of the red wine, um, Pinot Noir red wine, to the cuvee. So I think those like are the different. Still wine. That's different. If you leave the grapes on a little bit, you're going to have pink champagne. If you actually add red wine afterward, you're going to have rosé champagne. What's the difference? It says here rosé is also known as pink champagne. I've seen – I know. This is what I'm saying. So it gets confusing because you yeah. definitely get different things from different sources. But I have seen in mul- multiple places that uh-huh. when you add red wine, that's rosé and that keeping the grapes in is is pink champagne. Interesting. But um, apparently there's something like three million bottles of red wine are set aside every year just to make rosé champagne. What a waste. <laughs> Man, I'm really I'm, I'm changing your mind about champagne. Uh, no, you're not. I'm um, going to. Emily likes rosé. Rosé champagne? No, I mean she'll have that, but just still rosé. There's also rosé with gas that's not champagne. It's yeah. just a little gassy. It's it's kind of different. Yeah, I'm it's just not too. a fan of all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's I, and it's not like I discriminate against wines either, but um. I'm, I'm definitely prefer champagnes or sparkling wines over still wine. Yeah. Like any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. We're the opposite. Yeah. In more ways than one. <laughs> uh, are we at the Riddler yet? Cause this is my favorite part. Uh, so, oh, we've got the blend. Uh huh. And once you, once you blend it, you, uh, have to put it in bottles. And one of the things, Chuck, about the AOC, this, uh, method champagnoise is, once you put it in that bottle, it stays in there until the person who buys it and drinks it takes it out. Yeah. You have to keep it in the same bottle. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Why would you switch bottles? That'd be weird anyway. Um, well, you'd, you used to want to decant it to get sediment out. Um, you might just put it in one bottle to reuse the bottles. Who knows? Yeah. But you, you, once you put it in the bottle, it's got to stay in the bottle. And after that initial cuvee is blended, they put it in the bottle and they let it sit. And depending on what kind, um, what kind it is, if it's non-vintage, it's going to sit there for 12 more months. Yeah. For a total of a minimum of 15. Yeah. At if, least. if it's vintage, it's going to sit there for, uh, another three years and just age in the bottle. That's right. And so at this point, you're going to start. You want the bubbles, so you're going to start that second fermentation process by adding uh, sugar and yeast. Then you drop the temperature on your cooler uh, to about 50 to 60, uh, which is cooler than the initial fermentation process. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, you can also do this in the tank. Like, there are different methods, but... Right, that's the that's called the um, Charmette method. The tanks? Yeah. But I think the old world method is, well, geez. You can't use tanks. You gotta use bottles. And I don't even think old world is the right term. That's I'll, oldish. I'll just say old. But I think old world means something very specific with wine. Oh yeah, I can see that. I think it means non-Californian. See, this is where we get in trouble. <laughs> uh, so this is a very slow fermentation process, the second one. And, um, the yeast is, is living and dying and those cells are breaking apart and it's, Mm-hmm. This really interesting process is going on inside that bottle. Yeah, it's eating up all that sugar that you added in what's called the liquor de- tirage, 
right? And when you add that in and you add the yeast in, the yeast are like, this is great. We're going to live here for generations, eons by our time table. Yeah, like look at all this delicious sugar that we can eat. And they eat it and eat it and they eat all of the sugar in this second fermentation process. And what we're doing here now is recreating those that natural fluke of a condition where it would get cold and then warm up again. Yeah. And that second fermentation process would start to make the CO2. Same thing's happening here, but this is a very controlled version of that. Sure. So the yeast is eating it. And like you said, they're dying and breaking open. And so when you're drinking champagne, part of what you're drinking are the, the internal remnants of yeast cells that have spilled their contents into the champagne. That's why I don't drink it. But- they also leave behind some stuff you don't want to drink, which are the cell structures. And that creates what's called sediment. It's basically leftover cellular structure of yeast cells. And you want to get that out. Yeah. And that's uh, through a process called Riddling. And I mentioned the Riddler is my favorite uh, person in this process. It's a pretty thankless job to be the Riddler. Is it? I think so. I'll bet you get a lot of free champagne. Well, sure. That's thanks. Yeah, but it, it's very solitary and... Redundant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Repetitive. Yeah. Uh, so this Riddler, they, the wine at this point is stored upside down at a 75 degree angle. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, allowing all this, all these dead yeast cells to collect down near the, the neck. Um, they by hand go in every day mm-hmm. and turn these bottles one eighth of a turn. 20,000, 30,000 bottles. I saw up to 40,000. A day. They do this by hand. Yep. And they're just rotating these. Uh, it's, I can't imagine doing this. I mean, it's your life's work. You've got to really be dedicated <laughs> to your craft to be a Riddler. And it takes about four to six weeks of this, this, um, dedicated attention. It's a very fast process though. If you've ever seen a Riddler at work. Oh yeah. You know, but they have to remember that they turn the bottle. So they make a little chalk mark on each one. Yeah. 40,000 times in sure. a day. Yeah. Man. It's amazing. So they, they, they're turning the bottle and like you said, it's turned up in an angle. And the whole point of this is that you're slowly, cause you don't want to disturb the champagne. It's still in, it's still maturing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is toward the end of that maturation phase, either that 12 month or that 36 month minimum. And as you're turning it, what you're doing is kind of shaking the bottle a little bit too. And you're just trying to get the, the yeast cells, what's left of them to move toward the neck. Yeah. Right. And the whole point is this is called maturing on the lees and the lees, I think are what the, the sediment is called possibly or else what the, yeah, I think that's what it is. Okay. I think. <laughs> and as it goes down and accumulates at the, toward the front of the neck, you now have uh, one of the last steps called the degorgement. Or disgorgement. Yes. And what you have is it's just a, a thing of sediment that's accumulated at the neck, and you put it in an ice bath. It's really amazing how they do this. Yeah. And then what they used to have to do is they would pop open a bottle, decant it, yeah. filter it, and um, they would uh, pour it back. So it's filtered. Because one of the things you'll note about champagne is it's very clear. And it undergoes several different clarification steps, but that would have been one of them. This is the same thing, but this one is way cooler. They put the neck in an ice bath, a salt ice bath, so you know it's really cold because, you know, salt lowers the freezing point of ice water. Yeah, and at this point, it's going to create a little yeast plug. <laughs> it's so gross sounding. It is. 
uh, up there toward the neck. And what they have to do then is get that plug out of there while maintaining the integrity of the rest of the wine that's inside. Yeah, like you're going to lose some champagne. It's yeah. not a perfect procedure. Well, yeah, I mean, that's part of the process is to lose some because then they add stuff back in. Right. Which we'll get to. Yeah. But um, so they remove, well, it says in here the cork, but these days I think that initial one is is a cap, like right. a bottle cap. Bottle cap. You and can so, use that old world bottle cap. <laughs> and, you know, go on YouTube and look at uh, a Riddler at work and and just check this out. It's it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Like it's a fast process mm-hmm. as well. Um, Did you see the how it's made on that? No. They They pop it out. And a surprisingly small amount comes out. Like I, I thought it'd just be, they'd be like, oh god, oh jeez, like it'd be the most stressful job in the world. But it, it, you know, so enough comes out; it's foaming over. But um, it's not like a just a tremendous amount. And then they smell it to make sure it's not. The dude I saw would, uh, put his thumb over it real quick, so mm. like it wasn't foaming over at all. Maybe that's what I saw, or maybe that's what he was doing. I didn't catch it. Yeah, pretty interesting though. So the Riddlers is doing this by hand. Uh, cause there's, you know, carbon dioxide gas in there at this point and it forces that plug out. And like you said, you lose just a little bit and uh, then you add, uh, maybe a little brandy, a little sugar, a little white wine, uh, back in to get the, you know, the proper amount of liquid inside the bottle. Right. That's called the dosage or the liquor de dosage. Don't call it dosage. No. <laughs> <laughs> cause I did in my head Yeah. for like half of this research. Yeah. And then you're, Oh, oh man, it's dosage. Well, that's when it helps to watch videos. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then they put that final cork in place. This is one that's going to stay in there until you uncork it. And they tighten it down with that wire. That, uh, as our not-so-great article points out, you can make into a little chair <laughs> afterward. <laughs> yeah. That's what people do, right? Sure. Uh, and, you know, you have to have that thing on there because it, it like... There's a lot of pressure still building up in that thing. Right. Um, and they've actually, thanks to a, um, 18th century French pharmacist named Antoine Beaumet, he came up with a device to measure the sugar content in wine. So now they know exactly how much sugar to put into the champagne to raise the pressure back up. Cause right. you want about five or six atmospheres of pressure or about, I think, 60 to 70 square or pounds per square inch. Of pressure in a bottle of wine. How much? 50 to 70, I think, or 50 to 90. But it's definitely five or six atmospheres of pressure. Yeah, I got 90. 90, That's okay. like kind of average. Okay. So um, they know how much of that liqueur de dosage to put in, yeah. how much sugar to put back in to raise the, the atmosphere back up. And the other reason you want to do that too, Chuck, is when you're adding that sw- that sugar back in, that yeast a all the sugar that was in there and turn it into carbon dioxide that yeah. you put in for the second fermentation. And when they did, they made the champagne as dry as a bone. An extra brute. So the amount of sugar, it's actually more than that. It's yeah, called it would brute, be, brute natural. Well, I call it a double X brute. It's crazy dry. Yeah. I've never had it, but I, I've, I can only imagine how Can you dry have that? Yeah. Oh, really? There's there's one where they don't put in a, any dosage. Huh. They don't add any sugar afterward. So it's bone dry. And that's just for people who really prefer that? Because that's I not... I guess. Apparently, the, the extra brute is the least popular. Yeah, I can imagine. And I think I think the, the best selling is sort of that brute, which is sort of in the middle of dry and sweet or uh, sec or demi-sec. 
And then I think the last one is do D O U X is the sweetest of all non brute. Yeah. But brute is drier than extra dry, which is kind of surprising. But yeah. if you ever, it's pretty easy to pick up if you just read it once or twice. You're yeah. like, Oh, okay. That's, that's how it's denoted. But all of that is based on how much dosage you put in after you dis, dis, uh, engorge, disgorge. <laughs> the the yeast plug engorge yeah uh one of my least favorite words by the way that's a bad one <laughs> um is this true about madame Clicquot? from what i saw yeah um she was an entrepreneur famously in fact she's called widow Clicquot at times she was widowed at a very young age sadly at 27 and took over her husband's wine business and supposedly invented that disgorging process mm-hmm. herself yeah which is uh i mean it's kind of simple when you look at it but I wouldn't have thought to do it. No. Again, I mean, they were decanting them back then, filtering it out. So, yeah. And this was, I think, 1813 when the Widow Clicquot came up with it. And about then is when champagne, the drink, took off, at least in France, and started to spread very quickly around the world. Yeah, Napoleon had a lot to do with that, right? I think Napoleon did. By World War One, Winston Churchill reminded everyone, we're not fighting to save just France, boys. We're fighting to save Champagne. Hurrah! <laughs> right. um, should we take another break? I think so. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about what the fuss is with this stuff after this. All right, so Josh, the master winemaker, the cellar master, has uh, walked us through the process. What a great job that would be! Yeah, I have a you know my friend Robbie is a kind of a rock star winemaker in Napa. Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty great. He's he's like he's living the good life. I'm sure. In fact, he got in touch at one point because he wanted to start a wine podcast, uh-huh. uh, and we just sort of emailed back and forth, and it just never. Like he just wanted advice and stuff, not like he wanted to start one with me, because that would be, um, what are those podcasts called when like someone's a super expert and then you got a big dummy? Um, <laughs> uh, I can't think of anything. That's what that would have been. Man, that was like that was just ripe for jokes. I would have been the Thomas Hayden Church to his uh, Paul Giamatti. Oh, you're talking about sideways. I thought you were talking yeah. about wings for a second. I would have been like, well, when are we going to drink it? Tastes good to me. Yeah. And Robbie would be spitting it out. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't think you should do that. He, he's very talented and, you know, does quite well, like, making wine for other people. And he also has his own label, uh, Langevin and Pearson Meyer Wines. Nice. Plug, plug. Yeah, right. Uh, and when you go to his house and stay with him in his awesome guest house, the top of Howl Mountain, huh? you get drunk on like amazing expensive wines. That's awesome. That he opens like you're drinking that Perrier. I'm sorry, Perrier. This, no, this is Pellegrino. Oh, excuse me. That's the Italian version of Perrier. It is. It's like the like Spumante. Prosecco. <laughs> What's Spumante? Spumante is Italian. Is it? Uh-huh. It's sparkling, right? Yeah. I, I guess Prosecco is Italian as well. 
I just remember that from when I was a kid, Martini and Rossi Asi Spumante. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how that's drilled in my brain. Martini and Rossi Asti Spumante. <laughs> Which probably is like crap uh, sparkling wine. I don't. Isn't it? I don't know that it's good. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think that's probably what gave you your headache. That and all the low and brow. <laughs> is that still around? I don't know. Isn't that what Bob and Doug drank? From no. Strange Brew? No, they drank some sort of. Was it made up? No, it... they drank Molson. Well, was it Labatt's? I mean, it was probably some Canadian beer. We're going to get killed over this yeah, one. Yeah, we are. Sorry, everybody. All right. So, uh, let's move on then to what makes champagne so, uh, so expensive and so fancy. Like it has this, um, there's this notion, you know, that you, you drink it for celebrations mm-hmm. or that you're like sort of the upper crust of society if you're drinking champagne. Well, supposedly there is an actual reason why champagne is associated with toasting the big events in life. Because for a thousand years, from about the ninth century to the 19th century. They had no champagne. The, <laughs> the kings of France were coronated in champagne. So it was like a celebration right. town for the whole country. So toasting with even before the, they were sparkling wines, yeah. Um, toasting with champagne wine was traditional. So uh, have have you ever been in a restaurant and like gotten good news and said, "Waiter, champagne, Gosson. <laughs> Has anyone ever done that? Uh, Besides in movies, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, it's funny. Like I was watching. Uh, I was watching McConaughey act. And I it was I was watching a movie on somebody else's seat back on a flight. Oh, so wow. I wasn't hearing it, so I was really just watching the movie, uh-huh. right? And um I was like, imagine if you were in real life around Matthew McConaughey, like in a room with one of his characters, and just how okay. off putting and bizarre that experience would be. You know, because uh-huh. he's just such, he just chews the scenery and everything he does is just so big. Yeah, he's that in, in real life. If you were interacting with that character, you'd be like, "Calm down, man! <laughs> You're freaking me out." Well, Wooderson was pretty chill. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll give but everybody Wooderson. since Wooderson, pretty much. All right, boy, that's an interesting thing to think on a plane. It just hit me. <laughs> it hit me on the plane. I think if I was in a restaurant and something great happened, I would say, "Waiter, another gin and tonic." And they would go, huh? <laughs> They'd probably say, you got it. Actually, I started calling those lime salads at my house. Nice. You on the gin and tonic now? Yeah, that usually happens around around April. Oh, yeah. April to, you know, September. I got one for you. Um, gin and bitter lemon is a nice combo. Yeah? Yeah. And I thought bitter lemon was just like a fever tree drink. Yeah. They make them. They make a good one. But everybody from like Canada Dry to whoever else makes bitter lemon as well. Uh-huh. So just get yourself a good bitter lemon and some gin. You're going to love it. Um, You're going to love it. <laughs> we should do a – we'll definitely do a podcast on gin at some point. Okay. Very interesting uh, liquor. Yeah. Complex. Can be. Sure. I got another one for you. With that bitter lemon, uh-huh. if you want to get really fancy, get some St. George Terroir. Yeah, I'm not a fan. You had the dry rye. No. You, you did. You you tried the terroir one? Yeah, it's the one that tastes like feet. No, that's the dry rye. 
I've tried all three of those St. George's and I don't like any of them. Oh, okay. I'm a London dry guy. Well, anyway, you'll still like it with bitter lemon. All right. Everyone else would like the terroir St. George with bitter lemon. Everyone else on the planet? Uh-huh. <laughs> because, uh-huh. all right. And I figured out what was up with the dry rye. You're absolutely right. You can't make a, a martini out of that stuff. It'd kill you. It's not made for it. It's made for things like Negronis. It makes a killer Negroni. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I'm a, I stick to my lime salad, you know? Okay. You know me and my basic needs. But, but try the bitter lemon sometime with gin. Okay. Your, your dry London's fine. All right. Okay. But with, <laughs> with the bitter lemon instead of tonic. Okay. I'll give it a try. And if I don't like it, then I'm just weird because everyone else in the world loves it. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. <laughs> you said that. Uh, all right. Where in the world were we? So we were talking about, um, what makes champagne so fancy? Yeah. Uh, well, like we said earlier, it's, um, you know, it's a very small region, comparatively speaking. Right. Uh, so that will lend to the price and all these hand processes that they still might use or foot processes. That's a big one. Is going to make it more expensive. Mm -hmm. And anytime the price is being driven up, uh, it's going to have that sort of air of sophistication. Uh, and then of course, when the hip hop scene started kind of, uh, Using that in lyrics and mm-hmm. popping champagne on the yacht and the videos. I'm on a boat. <laughs> what was that? That was the Saturday Night Live short. Oh, okay. With uh, oh, I think I remember that. I don't remember who it was. I want to say those... two chains, but I don't think it was. Gotcha. Was it one of those Andy Samberg uh, shorts? Not Lil Wayne. Who's the other Lil? Lil Bow Wow. No, he's just Bow Wow now. Really? Yeah. He's Lil... all grows up. <laughs> Man, the guy who was like, yeah, yeah. That guy. I have no idea. You do. Little John? Yes. Jerry is over there going, John. John. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, but yes, it was an Andy Samberg short. Yeah, I do. I think I do remember that. But that definitely um, kind of uh, solidified the uh, sort of, you know. Status? Yeah. Sure. That's exactly the word. I would, I would suggest. I mean, it was already. Right. Solidified. But it definitely didn't hurt. No. Especially in the States here and with a whole new generation of people. Right. Right? Like the younger generation, it's like champagne. Whole new generation of, of sudden, humans. Right. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, little John's like, yeah, got some champagne. No, for real. I'm sure the champagne industry was like, seriously, keep doing it. Sure. So it, it, the, the, the thing, though, is there's um, actual reason behind champagne being more expensive. Than your typical wine, but that doesn't mean that all champagne or all, all sparkling wines are out, like out of your price range. No, I mean you can get some cheap sparkling wine that'll give that's you a good. massive headache. No, no, that's not true. Like you can get Chandon wines for twenty bucks, and it's not going to give you a headache. I was and talking about the six dollar bottle. Good stuff, yeah. But twenty bucks, I mean, if you're gonna spring for a decent bottle of wine, sure. If it's New Year's Eve, sure. Why not? <laughs> That's when I'll toast it. Uh, all right. So 20 bucks will get you a good bottle of decent champagne is what you're saying. Yes. Not bad. Or you can spend hundreds of dollars, thousands, tens of thousands at auction, uh, just like wine. If you want some super rare collectible wine yeah, or uh, champagne, apparently a quarter of a million dollars for a bottle at the Moscow Ritz Carlton. And that's not even something you drink, right? 
if you're a jackass, sure. But I mean, if you you have to be a jackass to spend a quarter of a million dollars on a <laughs> bottle of champagne anyway, you better drink it, frankly. But champagne you don't keep, right? You can, you can. And so there's a lot of misunderstanding about it, right? So a lot of people think that you keep champagne standing up. You do for about the first month, but if you're keeping it in a cellar, you want to keep it on its side like any bottle of wine. You want the mm-hmm. the wine touching the cork. But the reason that champagne actually ages in the bottle, it's just like wine. That that cork, it's in there pretty good, but it's not airtight. There's a minimal amount of gas exchange going on so that the, the wine, the champagne continues to mature over the course of 10, 20, 30 years if you really? keep it, if you keep it. The, the key to champagne, apparently, storing it, is you want to avoid temperature fluctuations. You want to keep it at about the same temperature for the whole time you have it stored. So bury it in your backyard. Sure. It, as, yeah, on its side. Deep. And leave it there. Yeah. Uh, and it will, you will find that all the worms drank it. And you'll be like, worms! <laughs> bury it under the frost line. And you want to keep it out of the sunlight, too. Well, underground. But apparently, as it ages, I've never had old champagne, but as it ages, its taste starts to mellow. Um, and it takes on dried fruit, nutty, toasty, honey notes are like the main notes that it hits. Yeah, we had a bottle of Dom Perignon that was awful when we opened it, but we didn't. It was every improper thing you could do, we did. So, it, including moving it in a hot truck oh, yeah. from L.A. to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. A hot moving truck. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we just don't drink it much, so we just had it. Emily got it as a gift. If that happens, you just just put some fresh squeezed orange juice in there. It's fine. Boom. Then you got a mimosa. Yeah. I'll have a mimosa occasionally. That's champagne. I know. And orange juice. Yeah. (laughs) That's the key. With the orange juice? Well, I mean, I enjoy mimosa more than uh, just regular champagne. It's like a whole... It's definitely one of those things that's greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. You know? I don't think I ever said, Chuck, that um, the those two quarter of a million dollar bottles of champagne were from a shipwreck that was headed to Russia yeah. to bring champagne to the Tsar's family. And it like, well, the ship wrecked and they discovered it in the 90s. And now they're selling it at the Ritz-Carlton. To what did you say? Jackasses. <laughs> and I think that's the one that's like a collector's piece, right? I, I don't know. You like put it on your wall. That's not the world. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. Besides, just drink it and hope for the best. Well, sh- should we talk about drinking it in the proper way to open it and to pour it? Yes, please. And consume it? Yeah. Because uh, if you if you don't know what you're doing and you've seen too many movies, you might try and pop that cork out across the room. It's very dangerous. It is very dangerous. And people... Get injured, right? Are there deaths, I think? I didn't see any. Or is that uh, like a urban legend? I would guess an urban legend. I could be wrong. I'm thinking if you died from getting hit with a cork, you had a pre-existing condition. <laughs> is that covered? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Under Obamacare, sure. I guess we'll see. So uh, you'll get about six flutes if you're pouring properly out of a bottle of champagne. You want to serve it between 40 and 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. Celsius or Fahrenheit? Uh, that's Fahrenheit, right? I don't know. Uh, if you are caught with your pants down at a party, just go champagne <laughs> and it'll get you out of anything. Um, you, and you want to chill it very quickly. You can uh, put it in an ice bath and not to get out that yeast plug, but just to make it cold fast, just like you would beer or something. 
Are the neck? You mean? No, no, no. The whole bottle. If you if you want to serve it. Oh, sure. You got a hot bottle of champagne in your moving truck. <laughs> throw it in an ice bath for about twenty minutes, and you should be good to go. Yeah. If you there's a party trick you can do too, where if you put just the neck in the ice bath, you can use what's called a saber. You can actually use anything. I've seen somebody do it on on video with a shoe. Yeah, you don't even have to freeze it if you're a, a good saberer. Yeah, but you you kind of want to. You want the neck very very cold because you want the glass to just crack off cleanly. Yeah, and what the deal is, if you've ever seen someone, it's called saberage. Um, we mentioned earlier that the champagne bottle is very thick uh, because it's uh, in there at about ninety psi, where the seam meets the lip. It's about 50% less glass. Mm. And so that's a, a vulnerable area, and that's what makes sabering possible. Yep. And so you use, well, like you said, you could use a shoe, I guess, if you're, you know, if you're that guy. Right. <laughs> but there's traditional sabers. They're, yeah. they're, they look like a little sword. They are a little sword. Yeah. They just aren't ground to a point or an edge. They're very blunt. Well, because the point is yeah, using sure. blunt force on a weak point of the of the neck of the bottle. Yeah, but you can use your like a saber can be sharp. You just use the the other side of it. Okay, all right, sure. And um, I mean it's it's pretty neat to do because you're <laughs> not like I think for a while I thought you were just uh, knocking the cork out. That's what I thought as well. But you're 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 knocking the glass off. Yeah, the top the the top lip of the of the bottle is coming clean off if you're doing it correctly. And it, it's that is also dangerous if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> yeah. because that thing will fly, you know, 15, 20 feet or yep. more. Yeah. And that's actual glass. What you want to do is have a sharpshooter handy to shoot it out of the sky before it hurts anybody. <laughs> that's right. And have everyone stand behind you. Yeah. That's the traditional way. Um, how you really open it is, and this is a, uh, even if you're not just popping the cork, you might like twist the cork off. You want to twist the bottle. That's sort of the number one rule to open it cleanly and non-dangerously and without wine, uh, champagne, you know, getting all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like when you open a tonic bottle <laughs> <laughs> or soda, anything fizzy. That's one of good. our traditions backstage at Stuff You Should Know shows is Josh opens a tonic bottle, just get it all over spews everywhere and you go, what's the deal? Yeah. <laughs> Every single time. Um, I think because I have so many lime salads, I just I know you got to go easy with those tonic bottles. I do, and it still will spray <laughs> me. It's it's almost comical, almost. Um, no, it's pretty funny. Um, so you're twisting the bottle. Uh, if if you have a towel, you can hold it over the cork. Yeah, but you really don't need it as no. long as you're kind of holding it with your hand. Right. And twist that bottle. Uh, put your thumb in the punt, as yep. they call it, which is that the area at the bottom of the bottle. The divot. Yeah, the punt. The concave part. Yeah, the punt. Sure. So put your thumb in the punt, um, and then you've got it open, and you tilt the glass, pour it in a little bit, pour a little bit more. Uh, you want about three quarters of a flute, and uh, put your pinky up and go to town. Yeah, and uh, I did a brain stuff on what the best kind of glass for champagne is, and apparently the tulip is. It's a combination uh-huh. between the coupe and the flute. Um, you've probably seen it before. No, I didn't see that one. It's a no, oh, I thought you meant the episode. no the the tulip class. Yeah, I've seen tulips. Um, but apparently they allow for the most sparkle, and if you if you have the so the bubbles coming up, the French call effervescence. And if you look at a glass of champagne that you're just holding there in front of you, when they bubble up to the top, they accumulate into a foam, 
And uh, that is called Moose, like Chocolat Moose. Remember Top Secret? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, but it's not that. It's just Moose. Right. Is what they call it. Or Foam is another way to put it. Yeah. But that's what they call it. And so actually when you're creating the um, second fermentation process of the um, champagne making with the the method champagne was, uh-huh. it's called um, the prise de mousse or the foam creation. Wow. Lot, there's and lot. that's why you pour it slow too because if you go too fast, it's going to get everywhere. Yep. Like your tonic. And then you pour it three quarters full and you toast and say, huzzah, 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 I think is the traditional yeah. thing you're supposed to say. So you like champagne yet? No, it's just not for me. That's fine. Don't feel bad for me. I won't then. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about champagne, go get you some. Uh, and in the meantime, you can type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. All right, I'm going to call this one, uh, well, getting the nomenclature correct. Something we always strive to do and don't always do. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, let me start by saying you've been listening to your show for two years. You've added so much joy, laughter, and knowledge to my life. Uh, I know you're always intentional and sensitive about the language you use on your show. And while listening to the MS episode, I noticed something I've heard you two say in the past. Uh, I work in suicide prevention and hope to change the culture and reduce the stigma around suicide. As you know, one of the first steps of doing that is examining the language we use. The phrase commit suicide is very common, of course, and has been used for a very long time. However, the word commit makes it sound criminal. Uh, this perpetuates the stigma that there is something bad or wrong with someone who is experiencing thoughts of suicide, making it less likely that they will reach out and ask for help. Uh, I want to encourage you guys to use the word died by suicide or completed suicide as an alternative and more factual term. Uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is a great resource for more information. And, of course, I need to plug uh, my own nonprofit. I work for notmykid.org. Uh, I appreciate everything you guys do. Please come to Phoenix. I guarantee you will sell out a show there. Uh, sincerely, that is Sarah Tisden, uh, a.k.a. Hope Dealer. Oh, wow. She's dealing Hope. That's a heck of a a.k.a. Yeah, and you know what? I never thought about that. but uh, That I'm is gonna, not true. I'm gonna that is not true. That. You have. Have because I? Because we've been called out on this before. Really? Yes, but I think we've even done a listener mail on it before, oh, but it's man. so ingrained. I know. To say commit and then completed just sounds like they finished their homework or something like that. Right. But died by suicide, I could I can get behind that, and I will try. But it's just so hard to not say committed. What, though, if you're saying if it hasn't happened, you're saying someone was going to... Attempt was it. thinking attempting suicide? Okay. Yeah. I think that one's kosher. All right. Man, I didn't know we've covered this, so I feel bad that I still haven't gotten over that then. Yeah, same here. All right. I'm going to work on it. Yeah, same here. Thanks for for calling us out, Hope Dealer. Appreciate yeah. that. Thanks, Sarah. Keep dealing that hope. Open up your trench coat and be like, "This is what I got." Right. I'll take I got a lot hope of right hope. Here. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to correct us, uh, prod us, whatever, uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with me on Twitter at uh, Josh Um Clark. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Charles W Chuck Bryant or slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us both an email and Jerry to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, hang out with us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.